0: Well, as we get started, I want you guys to do uh, two things for me, two interactive things, and then after that, I might ask you to answer some more questions, but we'll see. All right, the first is, I want you to finish this sentence with me, all right? One, two, yeah, your, your parents do the same thing, huh? No, or maybe you as parents do it, right? I don't know. All right, well, what we're going to be looking at in Revelation today is uh, one of those moments where God says, one, Two, and when he gets to three, you better watch out. All right, so we're going to be looking at that. Also, this is the next question I want you to answer for me. Who would win in a fight, Batman or Superman? Superman. (laughs) All right, a lot of of different ideas out there. How about uh, Captain America, Iron Man or Hulk? Hulk, the Hulk. All right, uh, how about Jasmine or Belle? Belle. They're princesses. Oh, okay. Yeah, that one threw you off, right? How about uh, Olaf? How about uh, James Bourne or uh, or James Bond or Jason Bourne? I ask these questions because a lot of our stories that we tell, uh, we often tell with an underlying meaning. We're trying to get across a point, especially when we look at fairy tales and maybe even comic books. And and so sometimes in the Bible, they have stories written into the story itself, and it is designed to teach us a lesson. And when we find them in the Bible, uh, we call them parables. Um, And so the section that we're going to be looking at from chapters 14 through 18 of Revelation uh, are these two things. They are God's one, two, three moments, as well as a parable found within the book of Revelation. And so when we get to the parable, we have to kind of look at the story and see what it's trying to communicate to us. And so uh, I'd invite you to turn to uh, Revelation chapter 14. Uh, This is the uh, fourth of five uh, sermons on this subject. Uh, We're looking at revelation and seeing what it has to say for us. And if you remember, one of the things that we'll say over and over again is this idea of holding on as Christians. So in chapter 14, we read uh, these verses, starting in verse 1. Then I looked... And there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him hundred forty-four thousand who had His name and His Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunders. And the sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps, and as they sang a new song, bef- uh, and they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. They followed the Lamb wherever He goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as, as firstfruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths, and they are blameless." All right, and so this scene, in, starting in Revelation chapter 14, opens up with a reminder of something that we've already seen in Revelation. Right, if you remember back in Revelation chapter 7, we were introduced to these 144,000. Right, they are people that are sealed with the Holy Spirit upon their forehead. And we're told way back then that they represent all of Christians throughout history. All right, and so we're reminded in this section about our salvation and the question we have to ask is, why do we need to be reminded of this? Well, the reason we need to be reminded of this is because of what's about to take place. All right, Things are about to go from bad to really bad, all right, to worse. And, and we need to be reminded that God is on our side, that we have been sealed with his name on our foreheads. All right, we're about to enter this section where God brings about judgment upon the earth. And it's, it's not the same type of judgments that we've seen up to this point. The other judgments that we've seen, we've talked about, were bad things that men do to men. And they're bad things that happen as a result of natural disasters. But what we're about to get in the next section of Revelation is when God finally comes and judges the world because of sin. And when that happens, It's terrible. Because it's the God of gods who is doing it. And so we need to be reminded in those moments when God is pouring out his judgments that we have a Savior and that we have been sealed in his name. All right, so that's what, what we are introduced here. And then we get into these one, two, threes of God. All right, and they come in the form of angels. In verse 6, uh, we're told that there was an angel, he was flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who were living on the earth. So what he's about to proclaim in verse 6 is the eternal gospel. And this is what it says, the eternal gospel is. He says, uh, he's going to proclaim to everybody, verse 7, verse 7, Fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. So the the eternal gospel, the the primary thing that we find in the Bible as far as what we're supposed to do from God is this. Fear Him and worship Him because He's creator. This the term fear of God is a term that we find throughout the Bible, and it's a term of worship. All right, it's a term that we use to say worship God. All right, it's, it's fear not in the sense that we are afraid of God, but fear is in we respect Him very much. See, fear in our connotations more often than not is a bad thing, right? But fear is not necessarily bad. I right, fear can be very good. You know, you fear black widow spiders for good reasons, right? All right, I feared my father growing up, right? Not because he was a bad father, not because he was abusive or anything like that. He loved me, I loved him, but I was afraid of him, all right? Because he, as my father, was in control. And he could say, you do this, and if I didn't, I knew there was going to be consequences. And so there was this healthy fear of him, all right? It was a respect It wasn't necessarily worship, but I did fear him. And we're called here to fear God because he can do whatever he wants. He is the creator of the universe. He is in charge of everything. And if he wants to do something, he can do it. And so we should fear him, respect him, worship him because of who he is. Uh, The second angel, the two and the one, two, three of God comes in verse eight and he follows after me, says, fallen, fallen is Babylon, the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. So the second one is this, uh, this proclamation that Babylon has fallen. Babylon was a very important city in the ancient world. It was a city where everybody went to because it was that city. Right, it was kind of like New York City or Los Angeles. People just went to it because it was cool to go to. Right, it was an important city. Lots of empires had their capital city in Babylon. And no one in that day and age thought Babylon could possibly fall. And yet here's the angel proclaiming from a loud voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon. There are moments in history where Nations, cities fall. And a lot of times when those moments happen, they're unexpected, but they happen. An example of this would be what happened on September 11th, 2001. Now, that was a moment in history that changed everything after it. All right, our lives are significantly different because of what happened. And it was a moment in history that no American thought possible until it was too late and it's a moment for us as americans where babylon had fallen there is historically nations that rise that there seems to be no end to their power and no way they could ever stop and yet they fall the roman empire was one of these It was a nation that subjugated an entire region of the world. It was the strongest nation ever known on that time. And yet, it fell. And when it fell, it fell hard. And the people that lived in Rome at the time were astonished at how great the fall was. They thought it was the end of the world, but it wasn't. Babylon had fallen. We, we, we see a couple of generations ago, this was Germany. Germany had conquered most of Europe. Germany was strong. No one thought Germany could crumble, and yet it fell. The generation before mine, it was the Soviet Union. This thing that brought fear into the lives of so many, and yet it fell seemingly overnight. And so the warning that we see here in, with the second angel is, don't think you're so great because you can fall. The third angel comes in verse 9 with its warning, and it says this, If anyone worships the beasts and the image and receives its mark on their forehead and on their hand, they too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the lambs, and it goes on from there. And the three angels here, their ultimate warning together is this, judgment is coming. And there's a warning in this third angel for those who claim to be Christians and yet live like the rest of the world. Those who take upon the mark of the beast on their forehands and hands. And the warning is this, if you are among the world, you will receive the same judgments. We as Christians cannot be people who are imitating the world around us. We are called to be different The world so different that they can look at us and see that there is a difference. And if we aren't, if we're not living that way, then when judgment comes upon the world, it will come upon us as well. We need to be aware of this. In verse twelve, John will say, "This calls for the patience, endurance to be faithful." It's that same message as throughout the entire book of Revelation. Though the world looks like it is winning, hold on, Christian. Be faithful, Christian. Because there's going to be a moment where their world crumbles. And out of the ashes you will rise. Well, the judgments that we see come, uh, the warning of these judgments come to fruition in the ending of chapter 14 and all the way through chapter 16. Uh, we're just going to read the first part found in verse 14 of this section. It reads like this. I looked and there before me was a white cloud and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, cloud take up your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. Where We're introduced to this son of man. And son of man in Revelation is what? This is my question for you. Who is the son of man? Jesus. All right? and, and the crown on his head shows that he's also Jesus. All right? And Jesus, he's coming on this cloud. And oftentimes when we think about Jesus coming back, we think about this Savior who's ready to take his children home, Right? All right, but what we see pictured here in Revelation 14 is that when Jesus comes back, he comes back with a sickle. All right, this, this tool of farming in the ancient world. This long, curved blade that the farmer would take and swipe across the field as he was walking, cutting the crop. And this Jesus sitting on the cloud is told, Swing your sickle, it is time. And when Jesus comes back, it is not as a gentle savior. It's not as he came the first time to help those who are afflicted and weak. The second time that Jesus comes back, it's as an angry harvester ready to judge the world. And he swings his sickle, and the judgments begin. And And the book of Revelation 15 and 16, we're told about seven bulls of judgments. We've talked about them a little bit beforehand. And these are the final bulls of God's wrath, we're told. Right, and in them, uh, if we read them, we, we kind of get our Old Testament memory jogged a little bit. Uh, these bulls, as they're poured out, different things happen. There's festering sores on people. Our water is turned into blood. There's darkness There's frogs, there's droughts. And in our Old Testament mind, we think of what? Oh yeah, the plagues of Egypt. And this story that we're reading in the book of Revelation, it is not a new story. It is the same old story of God delivering his people. And when God sent Moses to Pharaoh, he said, let my people go. And Pharaoh shook his hand at God and said, you come at me, I dare you. And God brought out judgments upon judgments to set his people free. And these judgments that God is pouring out, it is upon the world. It is judgment to the world. A lot of times we like to think of God in his perfect love, and his perfect mercy, and his perfect grace. And we're kind of afraid sometimes to talk about his perfect justice. But God is a God, and in him His might and almighty power, He has every right to judge sin. And these judgments that are poured out upon the world, they are judgments for sin. The sins that we have committed as humanity against God, turning away from Him into evil. And these judgments are the final judgments to bring about the redemption of His people. But we'll face them. We'll have to deal with them. We have the seal upon us. And then we get into chapters 17 and 18, the parable that John writes. And it's a parable of an unholy hooker and her fate. This is how it reads, starting in verse 1. It says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and said to me, Come, I'll show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. And we're introduced to this prostitute, who is sitting on waters. And waters in the book of Revelation represents nations. All right, and so we, we, we see that elsewhere. We see that with the beast out of the sea, right, and the, the nations. And we'll be told in a little bit later that this is what this is. So, this woman, whoever she is, she has influence upon the nations. In verse 2, we're told that with her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. And so what we're told is that the kings of the earth are in bed with this woman. They're sleeping with her. They're connected to her. They're tied to her. And so who is this woman? Well, in verse 3 through 6, we read more about her. "'The angel carried me away in the spirit to a wilderness, "'and there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast "'and was covered with blasphemous names "'and had seven heads and ten horns.' The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet. It was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. And she held up a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things, and the filth of her adulteries. And the name was written on her forehead, was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and and of the abominations of the earth. And in verse 6, I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony of Jesus. This woman We can tell that she is a prostitute, not just because we're told, but because she looks the parts. If she was walking in a crowd, you would know in the ancient world that that was a prostitute. And she's sitting on this beast that we've seen before, the beast of the sea, the beast of nations that do the will of the devil. And here she is sitting on it, drinking the blood of saints. Who is this? Well, she's a city that draws out people away from God. She is, in many ways, the culture around the world. And we can see that culture, from time to time, draws people out from the people of God. Draws them away from the way God is expecting them to live. And here is this woman who is doing just that. And the nations are drunk with her wine. And the nations are buying into what culture has to offer. And we see this all the time. When someone stands up for what is right, they're beaten down because of culture. Well, she doesn't end well. Right, and it's not God who ends up destroying her. In verses 15 through 17, right, the angel tells John, the waters you saw where the prostitute sits are people, and multitudes, nations, and languages. Verse 16, the beasts and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. Right, they're in bed with her, but they hate her. And they will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh, burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over to the beast their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. And so this woman, she dies. She's torn to bits. She's eaten. She's left in the street. And the the person that does this isn't God, but rather the beast. It turns upon her. And we see that this is all done because God is in control. See, a lot of times we like to think that there's this great battle going on between God and the devil. And the reason why nations and culture changes is this constant waging of war. But the reality is, is that everyone is a puppet of God. And the rise of nations and the rise of culture, it's because God wants it to happen. And the reason why one nation falls compared to another is because God is doing it. There is no battle actually going on. So when does culture fall like this? When is kings destroying culture? When does it not happen? I mean, how often do we see people rise in culture only to be turned around and eaten mere years or months later? It happens all the time. And our nations, our kings, they're constantly turning upon what culture is doing. And they're constantly going with the new thing in culture. And that is what happens. Verse Chapter 18 uh, is, is the ending of this parable. And it ends with songs. Uh, songs in the Bible are often uh, centered. And you can kind of tell the difference as you're reading it. And, and pretty much all of chapter 18 are different people singing. And it starts off like this in verse 2. Fallen. Fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit. A haunt for every unclean bird. A haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. And in verse 4, the second song reads like this. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so you will not receive any of her plagues. And the songs that are sung at the beginning are songs of celebration. Babylon has fallen. Come out of her. It is celebration for the fact that culture has been destroyed. And there's moments in our lives where something evil in culture is finally done away with. And as Christians, we can have relief. It's over. But not everyone is celebrating in chapter 18. And in fact, there's a bunch of people who, who are not celebrating at all. Uh, the first one is in chapter 10, or verse 10. It is the kings of the world, the kings that have just destroyed her, and their song is, Whoa! Whoa! And they weep over the fact that Babylon has fallen, even though they've done it. In verse uh, 8, 16, we see the merchants... They have made money off of this woman, they come out and they cry out, Whoa! Whoa! And the sea merchants who also made money off her, in verse 19, say the same thing. Whoa! Whoa! And they're weeping over the fact that Babylon has fallen. But we see another rejoicing in verse 20. Rejoice over her you heavens rejoice you people of God rejoice apostles and prophets for God has judged her and the judgment she opposed with the judgment she opposed on you and this woman who's been drinking the blood of saints has now been destroyed and there's two different reactions to this there is celebration and there is weeping and we have a choice When we see things in the world crumble, when we see culture being destroyed, we can rejoice over it, or we can weep over it. And if we weep over the things that God has judged, we show where we stand. We show whose side we stand on. The warnings in these chapters, the parable it all comes back to this choice that we have to make as Christians. Are we going to hold on? Are we going to stand firm in the sight of God? Or are we going to join the world? Oftentimes in our lives, it can be tough to follow Christ. It can be a challenge. It may be sometimes a lot easier to go with the world and do what the world says is right. But if we do that... And even though it looks like the world may be winning, God's judgment will come. And when His judgment comes, the world will crumble. So choose whose side you're going to be on. God's side or the world. It's your choice. Will you pray with me? Gracious Father, we're grateful for Your justice that is shown in these verses. We're grateful that in Your holiness, in Your perfect love, You know the way to judge the world. The sins that we see that are part of the life that we live, we know that someday You will bring it to an end. And in those moments, Lord, I pray that we will be standing with You. I pray that we will be marked with the Holy Spirit and not with the mark of the beast. I pray that we'll be focused on the fact that you died, and that when you come, you come for your people. I pray, God, that no matter what culture says, no matter what the nations say is right or wrong, that the only one we'll listen to is you. And I ask these things in your name. Amen.